Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. Okay, so let's start this morning with a bit of trivia. Can anyone name the official state song of Georgia? Go ahead and hit it. This old sweet song Keeps Georgia home in my mind Who doesn't like Ray Charles? Uh, Ray Charles is a resident of Georgia. He made that song in the, famous in the early 60s, and it became the state song of Georgia in 1979. But, but it makes me wonder, uh, if Ray always has Georgia on his mind, had he ever been anyplace else? I mean, I, the little I've been in Georgia, it is truly a very pretty state. But had he ever been to Rocky Mountain National Park? or the great Pacific Northwest rainforest, or Hawaii, or Paris. I mean, if he had been to any of those places, can you really honestly say Georgia's always on his mind? I don't know about that one. You can tell a lot about a person by what they have on their mind all the time, right? I've known a lot of people who all they can talk about is video games. I've known a lot of people who all they can talk about is sports. And what's on a person's mind is really easy to tell when you've got one of these people who's dumbstruck in love over the person that they just met who they think is the one. They become absent-minded, right, and distracted. One of my college roommates uh, met a girl uh, he thought was surely the one. And he was already, just truth be told, a little bit absent-minded and a little bit of a slob because of that. And his absent-mindedness went to the whole next level of slobbiness as he fawned over Laura for the next couple of months. We were at a college that didn't allow, uh, didn't have co-ed dorms, and so the guys couldn't go in the girls' dorms, girls couldn't go in the guys' dorms, except on specific open house nights. So for one of those open house nights, uh, my friend was really busy uh, with a big paper that he was behind on, so nice roommate that I was, I agreed to help clean up his side of the room for the open house. And I found mostly open, half-eaten bags of chips, stale and you know, partially eaten chocolate chip cookies all mixed in with his dirty clothes on the floor. That, that was kind of normal. But as I started to clean around his stereo, I found what I discovered to be a several-month-old chocolate ice cream cone that had obviously only had just a couple licks taken off of it. I mean, who sets down an ice cream cone and then forgets about it? That's a man who's dumbstruck with love, whose mind has stopped working. Romance is, isn't the only thing that consumes people's minds, is it? First-time parents often struggle to not call home constantly when they go out on a date to check the sitter and make sure the baby's actually alive, right? And uh, some of you have been around people who have only business on their minds. So you go out to lunch or coffee with them, and the conversation is constantly interrupted multiple times, mid-sentence, with them answering their phone and texting or emailing about work. Have you ever been around a person, all they could talk about is the next thing they're going to buy? That nice new outfit, the golf clubs, the boat, or the car. Material things are always on their mind. Or the person who's constantly worried about what other people think about them and gaining the approval of the right people. So they always are talking about who they know and, and how they've been so affirmed and honored by so many people in their life. We get to know a lot about a person 
by what's always on their mind, which begs the question I'm sure you know I'm headed to. What or who is most often on your mind? One of my kids' favorite TV shows is the sci-fi series Flash. So recently they downloaded nine episodes on their iPhones from Netflix when we went camping last week. And then after kayaking and hiking for the day after it got dark, we binge-watched a number of those episodes. And some of the episodes we watched, they had these electronic headbands that kind of kind of helped, in a sense, their thoughts become reality. It made me start thinking, I wonder what it would be like if we had something like that today and we could just hand it around to everybody and we could show on the screens what was on your mind and you could hear it over the speakers what was on your mind. Wouldn't that be cool? Uh, nah, probably not. If Jesus were here and we could wire him up and show it on the big screens, it wouldn't be George on his mind. I mean, God forbid he had an SEC school on his mind. I mean, that's just, that, that, that's just profane to even think about, right? Uh, sorry to say that he also wouldn't have the Buckeyes on his mind. He wouldn't be consumed by business or money or social recognition. Jesus would simply have people on his mind. That would be his theme song. Sick people, healthy people, lost people, and found people. People who are broken and people who look like they have it all together. The rich or the poor, accepted people or forgotten people, people in the community and people outside of the community. Every race, cultural group, ethnicity, language, nationality in all of human history. Jesus is unsurpassed in his preoccupation with people. And truth be told, it's Jesus' preoccupation with people that causes both Christians and non-Christians to admire who Jesus is. It's this preoccupation with people that resulted in the inspiring worldwide impact that Jesus has had. It's this people preoccupation and the way Jesus lived out that that makes so many of us admire and want to be like Jesus. And have that same kind of rich and good and beautiful and inspiring impact, even if it's only in a small measure comparatively. And it's this people preoccupation that is so easily shoved down in our lives and the priorities of lives and supplanted by something else that, that leads us not to the same inspiring life that Jesus invites us to. That inspiring life that we all long for. Jeremy's gone this weekend, but a while back he was praying and God spoke to him and, and he shared it with Wendy and I and it confirmed something Wendy had been praying and feeling like God was speaking about Quest. So I asked Jeremy to share that in a short video with you if you turn your attention to the screens. Well, good morning, Quest. I hope that you're having a good day. Sorry my family can't be with you all. We're in Texas visiting my family this week. I do want to share with you a little about where the Lord has been t leading me lately. About eight months ago, I started prayer walking through the halls of our church. It's a great way to connect with God and pray about the things that we're doing together as a community of believers. It's also a great way to get your steps in for the day. And if anyone's interested in joining me, I usually walk on Wednesday afternoons at the church before middle school base camp, starting around 4.30. Well, last year as I was walking, the Lord began to impress on my heart a word for our church. I was praying through Isaiah 54, which says, Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your stakes. As I was praying that verse, I was walking past the cafe, looking out the windows at the neighborhood across the street. And I heard the Lord gently ask me, What are you doing for them? I didn't have an answer. I've let that word sit with me for a couple of months, and recently I brought it up with Ross and Wendy. 
What resulted from that conversation was the series that we're starting today called Outside. You see, it occurs to me that if we as a church are going to allow the Lord to enlarge the place of quest, as Isaiah says, then we need to be intentional about looking all around us to the people that will soon join us here. God wants all of the world to fit under his tent. We have the honor of inviting them inside. So as we enter this fall season, my prayer for me and for you and for all of Quest is that we'll look outside of the walls of this wonderful building that we have and ask the Lord to burden our hearts for the people around us. You know and I know that the love of Jesus is more satisfying than any other love that we can look for in this life. But there are people out there that have no idea what the love of Jesus is like. So let's pray that it becomes our priority to demonstrate that love to our neighbors. Well, thanks, Quest, for listening. I love you all, and I can't wait to see what God has in store for us as a church and how he might fulfill our Isaiah 54 prayer. God bless. Yeah. How we worship God, how we live life as a follower of Jesus has everything to do with how we live outside of this building. And I hope that over the next couple of weeks, we can both inspire and refocus each and every one of us on enjoying the abundant fruit, the abundant, beautiful life of living with Jesus' preoccupation with people, people outside of here, people who we see every day at work, who, who in our neighborhood, we see them at sporting events, we see them at, see them at concerts, we see them at Starbucks. And, and when Jesus called his first disciples to follow him, he said to them, you know, I know you're fishermen, but... And you weren't considered good enough to be leaders. But I, I'm calling you to a vision that is much bigger. I'm calling you to be godly leaders who fish for people. And Jesus wasn't diminishing the value of their fishing business. He's not devaluing the involvement you have in business. What Jesus is saying is whatever you do from now on, your priority focus will be about People. So from the first day to the last of Jesus being here on earth, he was apprenticing his followers to have that same priority focus in their mind to be all about people. We see this people focus when Jesus, interrupted, Jesus was interrupted by a bunch of children and the disciples tried to shoo him away. And Jesus said, what, you remember? He said, no, let them come. And then Jesus goes on and says it even stronger. And Mark 10, he says, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. We see it, I think, most profoundly in Jesus on the cross. If I were on the cross, especially under Jesus' circumstances, I'd be having revenge in my heart. I would be wanting justice and anger. I would be having anger at the injustice I'm experiencing. But Jesus, he focused on people. In fact, he focused even on those people crucifying him. Luke 23, verse 34, says, he says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. That's unbelievable. That's such power and such beauty. And it doesn't end there. A few hours later, in that same experience, in utter agony as from the beatings, with the nails in his hands and feet, the pain of pushing against those nails every time he needed to get a breath to avoid suffocating, Jesus pushes through the severe pain to get a breath just so he can say to John, his disciple, take care of my mom. And then while one criminal on one side of him is trash talking him, Jesus cares for the soul of the other criminal hanging on the other side of him. He is so intently, fully, powerfully people focused that he continues to care and make a profound difference in people's lives even while being crucified. 
see in all of human history, there is none who has surpassed Jesus in the preoccupation with people. Jesus' life is an intense workshop on what it means to be people-focused, on what it means to have a lasting legacy, on what it means to really make a difference in this life, on what it really means to be a follower of God. And people were always on his mind. So here's the question. What enabled Jesus to have such a powerful, profound, beautiful, impacting, constant focus on people? That's what we're going to spend the next few minutes on. We're going to look at three possible explanations for the focus. I'm sure there's more, uh, and I want to give a little bit of acknowledgement. I heard a message by Bill Hybels that he did at Willow Creek a few years ago that helped shape this message today, so I want to give credit where credit's due on that. First, Jesus lived with people on his mind because he knew, he knew the Father's heart better than anyone had ever known it. Consistently, Jesus would step into conversations where the focus was shifting away from people and he'd essentially say to them, you clearly don't know my father's heart well because if you did, you would never put yourself or your need or your idea of right and wrong above valuing these people in front of you right now. For example, one time Jesus was having dinner with Matthew, uh, the traitorous, swindling tax collector, and all of his immoral friends and the religious leaders lined up and accused Jesus of being evil, spending time with such sinners, they said with cynicism in their voice. And Jesus' response in Luke 5 is what? You remember it? Luke verse 32. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In other words, he's saying, hey, you religious leaders, you have lots of book knowledge. You know nothing of God's priorities and God's focus, because if you did, you would realize that focusing on the people in front of me right now is exactly what God wants to see happen instead of you standing there in self-justification and self-protection because God is all about people. Another time, Jesus and his followers were refused passage through a part of Samaria, making their journey much longer and much harder. And you see the disciples filled with ethnic pride and self-righteousness say to Jesus in Luke 9, verse 54, he says, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? That's a nice Christian thing to say, isn't it? And Jesus, without hesitation, turned and rebuked them for putting a higher value on standing with God and who they were than on the people, the Samaritans, right in front of them. In Luke 15, Jesus tells three stories back to back, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the wayward prodigal son. And he emphatically wraps all of that up in these stories by saying there is nothing, absolutely nothing, more important in life than seeing a lost person found. And he confronts the selfish focus of the older son who has not gone astray, Reminding him in verse 31, he says, My son, the father said, You are always with me, with me, and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. In other words, he's saying to the eldest son, If your focus was the same as mine, you would be rejoicing now, not complaining. Son, my focus is always on people. Is your focus on people or is your focus on what you want? See, the problem with the older son's dissatisfaction in life is not the circumstances. He was living in great circumstances every day. 
The problem with his, with our, with your and my dissatisfaction so often in life is not about not getting our needs met or our dissatisfaction with life or our dissatisfaction with the church. That's not the focus. Do we have the same heart as God, the Father God? That's where the problem lies. In our mind, is our mind always on people? Or is it on ourselves, on our own wants, on our own needs and our own preferences? You see, Jesus was so in touch with the Father's heart for people that everything he did was about being radically inclusive, reaching out and gathering people no one else would reach out to because of social stigmas or sin barriers. The level of acceptance Jesus extends is almost irrational. It seems too good to be true, but it's not. It is true. And it's what inspires us about who Jesus is. See, Jesus says to everyone, come, be in a relationship with me. No matter who you are or what you've done or where you are in life, no matter how broken or how healthy, just come. There's a second explanation for Jesus' mind always being on people, and it's this. Jesus understood external realities better than, eternal realities better than anybody else ever did in all of history. I think this is something we, as a church in America, don't like to talk about much these days. I, I know for me that's partially because the eternal realities of heaven and hell have so often been used as fear-engendering discussions designed to manipulate people to make a decision so we can get another salvation notch on our belt. And I hate that kind of a feel. I think you probably do too. Yet if we honestly read the eyewitness accounts of Jesus, he is constantly teaching against this backdrop of the impending eternal realities we all face. He regularly reminded his listeners that no commodity, be it land or home or money or bank accounts or titles or achievements, would make it to the next life. The only thing that makes it through death to the next life is people. That's it. Nothing else. So Jesus focused his entire being, all of his thoughts, all of his energy on the only thing that matters, people. And he challenged all of us who follow him to do the same. Do you remember those powerful words Jesus spoke in Mark 8 and verse 36? He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Say, Jesus is saying, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about eternal, ultimate reality. Don't ignore it. And then Jesus' words in the famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 and verse 19, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And he caps it off with this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, if your treasure is in what is eternal, then your treasure is in the people in everything you do. That's it. Nothing else. It's all about the people in your life. Bill Hybels puts it this way. He says, because Jesus had such a stranglehold grasp on this, this idea of eternal realities, we see a calculated sense of urgency in the life of Jesus. Not a frenetic, anxiety-filled drivenness, but a reasoned, purposeful, people-centered kind of urgency. 
that would cause him to change his travel plans for the sake of a troubled person. The type of urgency that would motivate him to confront a a young wealthy uh, leader about the condition of his soul rather than be impressed by the net worth of the guy. The kind of urgency that prompted him to send his disciples out to witness in a hostile world. And he admitted to them as they packed their bags that it might not go well with them. See, Heibel's statement goes right at the heart of the reason I have often hated this topic being talked about. And maybe the same is true for you. Maybe you can relate to this reason. You see, when we talk about the ultimate reality of eternity and the ramifications for people, it tends to lay a lot of guilt on us. It tends to make us feel this unbearable weight of responsibility and our failure to follow through with this responsibility. And that drives us to be driven and anxious. For me, it always made me feel like I needed to be this this sprinter workaholic who just ran until you dropped in life instead of this reasoned, purposeful, intentional, lifelong marathon runner with a reasonable pace and a rhythm to life. You see, Jesus certainly worked hard. And, And there were many times when he was exhausted and a major need presented itself that Jesus did indeed respond and push through. But there are also many times where Jesus withdrew to be alone, to rest, to, to get away with his disciples from the, and get away from the press of the crowd and all the needs around us. See, Jesus had a reasonable, highly intentional purpose to the way he moved through life. And it wasn't pressure-driven. It wasn't frenetic or anxious. So... Even if you're beginning to feel uh, the guilt or pressure for me as we're talking about these internal realities, it, it leads us to the fact that we have three choices when we face this topic. We can embrace the reality and, and we can become anxious and driven because it's just an unbearable weight. Or we can avoid it and we can not talk about it at all with other people because we don't want them to feel the pressure of that. And I think we oftentimes stop at those two choices and think that's where the choice is stopped. But there's a third option for us. We can respond to Jesus and allow him to lead us to a reasonable, sustainable, grace-filled, anticipatory intentionality of God wanting to use eternal realities to bring good focus and good priorities to our lives. And as we talk about those eternal realities, we can bring to the lives of those around us an eternal awareness in a peace-giving, inviting way. See, sharing our faith in that way won't be easy in any way. It won't be easy. Jesus, Jesus in another place says that he knows that he's sending you out, sending us out as sheep among wolves, he says in Matthew 10 to us, right? See, being intentional and focused as to the priority of your life on caring for people and bringing God's news, good news to the people, inviting people to faith in Jesus, inviting them to settle this eternal reality and to follow Jesus and his focus on healing people in this life is often difficult. It's not easy. Jesus says it's even fear-invoking like sheep among wolves. It's risky. It's demanding. It's painful. It's disappointing. Sometimes caring for people deeply will make us face and feel defeat. But the upside, the upside is tremendous. I mean, one more person whose life is redeemed and healed and restored, discovering so much good for how God wants them to live now and for eternity, helping another person experience 
the immeasurable satisfaction of getting to the end of their life and realizing they kept their eye on the right ball, the right ball of faith in God, on the right ball of focusing on people. It's the most fulfilling feeling in the world. And yet there's also a third reason that Jesus had people on his mind all the time. It's that he saw the potential in people that better than anyone else ever has. We talk about this a lot in our own life. Great coaches see potential in others uh, that others don't see. And the result is we get to discover young athletes who turn into something really special. We get to watch them and be entertained by them on Saturdays and Sundays. We, we see great business leaders who see hidden potential. And because they see this potential, great companies and great products are formed. You could probably list dozens of names, both famous and not so famous, who fit that bill that you know of. And Jesus was the epitome of someone who saw past obvious deficits in people to what the, and looked past that to what they could become through the grace and power of God. And then he drew it out of the people, right? I mean, no one else in Jesus' day saw the generous philanthropist hidden in the life of a greedy, insecure, conniving, driven, wealthy tax collector named Zacchaeus. But Jesus did. No one other than Jesus saw the fearless leader of the early church and the brash bravado of an insecure fisherman who constantly needed affirmation to feel good about life, as Jesus did in Peter. And no one but Jesus could have seen a generous, serving, faith-filled, godly woman in Mary Magdalene whose life was given to prostitution before she met Jesus and she became a follower of Jesus. But Jesus looked at people differently. And he looks at you and I differently. And he sees such tremendous potential. I mean, the flaws you have, they're, they're not a fatal barrier or even a big concern to Jesus. The ability to see the image of God in each person, the ability to see God's good plan, how wonderfully he created every individual, made Jesus approach people with an irrepressible optimism. He knew that those stuck in fear could become brave. That those who were trapped in rejection could be full of grace and confidence. That those who were weak could be strong and those who were broken could be whole. Jesus knew God's power to transform lives and it allowed him to see and believe in people differently and be at rest. Even in the moments when things were unfinished. And they didn't look well. But let's shift away from these three reasons for Jesus' people focus to one of the most fundamental definitions of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And in so doing, we're going to talk about you and me in this. Romans 8, verse 29. It says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So, what does all that fancy Pauline language mean? It means simply this. It means the plan of God for everyone, those who follow and those who he's inviting every single person on the planet, is to be conformed to be like Jesus. That we would be conformed to the same motivations, the same focus, the same priorities, the same kind of actions that Jesus had and, and, the, and the way that Jesus lived and thought and felt. That we would live with the same heart, the same character, the same joy, the same integrity, the same focus in the mission of our lives as Jesus did. So in the context of what we were talking about today, that we would live with people constantly 
as the focus of our life, that we would become radically inclusive in our relationships like Jesus did, that we would radically love across all boundaries as Jesus did, and that we would be radically intentional about our focus so that so that when we're making a sale at work, when we're writing some code at work, when we're fulfilling an order, when we're teaching students, when we're raising kids, when we're coaching kids on our kids' teams, when we're tutoring through the Project 29-7 Tutoring Initiative, when we're just simply walking through the neighborhood saying hi to the neighbors, that we would be focused on helping everyone experience God's grace and goodness through us and to help them know the love of our Lord. Can you imagine with me just for a minute... What would happen here at Quest if every single one of us lived that way? So like Jesus that people were always on our minds. Where we realize my paycheck may come from the corporation I work for, but my fundamental mission in life is to share the Father's love with everyone with whom I interact. Even those, especially those who are Rejected and those who are not like me, so that God, through me, they can experience God, and in some way their life can be better, they can be closer to being like Christ themselves. I have to ask myself is that the focus of my heart? Is that the focus of your heart? And even beyond that, do our hearts, do our actions, do our words demonstrate Jesus' heart in his focus on eternal realities? See, we, we don't like to think or talk about that, but we're forced to face those when a, somebody close to us dies. But we tend to avoid eternal realities in our lives. And yet it's not only the reality that the backdrop of Jesus' teaching was so often in this idea, but it's also the reality we all know is unavoidable. We live life distracted in our 24-hour news and entertainment cycles and media cycles. And, and who wants to think about eternal realities? And yet there's nothing so orienting in life as death, is there? I mean, every time I'm part of a funeral, whether I'm leading it or simply attending it, I hear people affirm what, what we see in Jesus, and namely that the only really important thing in our lives is people, isn't it? How is that eternal reality, causing us to be intentional in our relationships, to pray, to care for, to share our faith with those who are not following God. We talk often about having five people with whom we're, we're intent, for whom we're intentionally praying, looking for God to open doors for us to care for them and to build genuine friendship with them so that the friendship can get to the point where we can have open, honest questions about faith in a safe way for people to talk with us. And five people who are either not following Jesus or, or are disconnected from church, are we consistently praying for our five and asking God for opportunities to care for them and invite them to conversations of faith? Writing this message helped me realize how easy it is to get unfocused in myself. And God is asking me that question today as well. See, I remember years ago um, going to the bloodiest hospital visit I've ever done. It was a young guy in our church who was, uh, where I was serving at the time. He fell asleep at the wheel and crossed the median going 70 miles an hour, ran into a semi going the opposite direction 70 miles an hour. He miraculously survived. And months later, I remember him and his wife reflecting on the time saying, oh, how quickly a normal average day can become a meet-your-maker kind of day. 
And we all recognize that reality. When the doctor comes in and gives you a diagnosis that changes everything, when you get that phone call that changes everything. See, Jesus never lost vision of the impending eternal realities. Do we live with the same sense of intentionality, with the same reasoned urgency that Jesus did about those realities of life? Or has something else supplanted them in our life, in our conversations? Within that, we, can't also for, we, we must not also forget that we need to become the most encouraging, believing in other people kind of people on the face of the planet. I mean, how does, how does God want to conform you to be like Jesus so that you believe in everyone around you in the way he did? Is, is there anyone in your life who you struggle being around or believing in? Is there anyone you want to just write them off? Wendy and I had the joy about two weeks ago of hosting my old boss from Oregon and his wife who were in town for just a day. And as, as we were catching up, I found out that uh, a mentor of mine, that we, a mutual acquaintance, Don Bryan, recently had a stroke. He's recovering. But it made me remember one of the things I, I, I learned most from Don was the power of believing in people. I watched him believe in people no one else would. He was relentless in giving grace and believing in people. Early on, I'll be honest, I, I thought he was crazy wasting his time on certain people. I mean, when he could spend time with higher capacity leaders, why is he spending time on these people, right? But the more I saw, the more I knew Don, the more I observed the people he believed in over time, the more I realized the great treasure of people he was bringing with him by his life. There are literally thousands of people who, if they heard the name Don Bryan, would say without hesitation, he's a man who models the grace and love of God, and he models how relentlessly God believes in us and pursues us. In fact, the day after his stroke, uh, my old boss was telling me he went to visit him. He was in the hospital bed calling all the people he was mentoring, checking on them, saying, how were they doing? And he's sitting there recovering from a stroke one day ago. All of us have people in our lives who get under our skin. At work, in the neighborhood, in our family. People we have little use for, little desire to be around. People we believe are a drag on us and others. Not worth believing in and investing our time in. People who make you uncomfortable. Who are so adamantly opposed to the way you think on a consistent basis that you tend to believe they are a lost cause. It's a really exciting thought to imagine what we as a church could see done through our lives by God if we had that same quality of Jesus believing in others. Go ahead and come on up, worship team. What would our lives be like if we were people focused like Jesus? What kind of a difference could our lives make in our city, for that matter, our state and our nation? Having people on our mind puts our focus outside of here, outside of ourselves. How can you join God in his love and passion for people more today, this afternoon, this week? In what way can you pray just a little more or care just a little more or focus more on what it would be like for your friends and your family and your colleagues and your five, what it would be like for their lives if Jesus were at the center of their lives. See, I keep dreaming about what would happen if all of us would live this way outside of this place. 
it would be incredible. We would be the church that everyone was breaking the doors down to be a part of because of how much good was happening in people's lives. If we just caught this vision that Jesus presents for us that I've tried to share with you today, God is asking us to join him, to being conformed to being like him in all of these reasons for why he was about loving people, loving all people, but especially those outside, those sick, those lost, those in need. How will we respond? Let's stand and pray. Father, thank you for the vision you give us of, of, of Jesus' life that inspires us. Father, thank you for the way you believe in us, the way you come to us, even in our failures, that when we're faithless, you are still faithful, that, that when we are unloving, you still love, that when we are unforgiving, you still offer forgiveness and invite us to that. Lord, I pray that you would help us just grasp a sense of the excitement you have of how you want to work through us. Lord, I pray that if there's anywhere in here right now who's experiencing any kind of guilt because of the internal realities or feeling like a failure in doing this, Lord, I pray instead that you would wash that away and that you would, by your Spirit, descend on us right now and come out of us, flow from us this week, that we would experience the anticipation and the joy that we get to share and deliver the greatest news ever. That we get to believe in people more than anybody else could ever believe in them because of who you are to us and who you are to them. Lord, would you come and make us into that kind of a people? And would you allow us the great, great joy of seeing our community transformed because of it? In Jesus' name, would you continue to worship? Here's the amazing thing. God says, you get to do this stuff. You get to help find the lost. You get to see the lame walk. You get to see people whose lives are dead, who the people have given up on them, and they have no hope. Discover hope. Discover life. It's through you. It's not just through me. It's through you. Every single one of you get to be a part of that. And that's what the message today is all about. We get to believe in people when nobody else does and show them God's love in the process, an open relationship that allows them to put Christ at the center of their life and discover life like they never believed it could be. I want you to get that excitement. If any of you still have kind of that residual guilt saying, I don't do this enough, I need to do this more, you're, you're beating yourself up with that guilt, I understand that because that's something that constantly comes to all of us, it comes to me, and we have to shove it aside and say, no, there's excitement here. There's good here. There's that kind of stuff that we get to experience here. So I just bless you with that freedom freedom of his spirit, to see things differently, to, to let go of the guilt, to let go of the pressure, and just be the good news through word, through action, through everything you do today.
Look for an opportunity today as you leave this place, right this afternoon. Look for an opportunity to be that person who believes in someone who needs to be believed in. To pray for someone who needs to be prayed for. God's going to bring it to you. Are you looking? So glad to have you here today. There's, uh, we, do, we do receive an offering at the end of the service, and you can give that in one of two ways. You can give checks and cash at the boxes by the back doors on the way out. Or if you have not given this way before and you want to give, you can text us. Go to Quest to 77977 on your smartphone. It's go to Quest, all one word, 77977. It'll send you back a link. You just follow that link to a secure place to give. It'll give you the option when you're done giving to download the app. And if you do that and integrate with that, it'll integrate with the church app when you download that. And it'll make giving really, really simple and fast in the future. Thank you for your generosity. Let me just say again, we, we really need good months in, in September and, and, and October. If you weren't here a couple weeks ago, I mentioned that Normally, July and August are really good giving months for us. And for some reason, July was a little bit down and August was really, really, really down. And it's kind of put us in a tough position going into the fall. We did a deep dive into the numbers. There's nothing long-term negative trend going on. It's all okay. It's not like a bunch of people leaving. In fact, there's no, nobody leaving other than people moving out of state. And that's not affecting that. So there's nothing negative going on. But we do need really good offerings for the next four or five weeks to be able to be back in a position so we can stop decelerating and we can put our foot back on the gas and see all that God wants to do. But thank you for your generosity. I normally don't say this. I just, you guys are so generous and growing in generosity. I just normally thank you for that. But I need to make mention of that. So if you have a little bit extra to be able to give, that would be great, greatly helpful right now. Uh, prayer team, come on down. Uh, if you're here and you have a, a physical need, if you have any other need, or, or, or even maybe you're here today and you've gone, man, I, I, I like that Jesus and I've never known that Jesus, or I've walked away from faith, my faith and I've been a little bit away and kind of distant, but, but I want that, then I want to encourage you to make that decision. I want to encourage you to make it public by turning to a neighbor or coming down to one of the people here and just saying, I, I'm returning to God or I'm coming to God for the first time and would you just pray with me? So God bless. We'll look forward to seeing you next week uh, and be praying about the next couple weeks. Can I just say two weeks from now, again, a reminder, 9:15 service only. It's going to be about a half hour, 40 minute service at the most. And then we're going to be as a whole community doing community service and we're going to be cheering on our community. We're going to be believing in our community. We're going to be building relationships. So that Sunday is not a day to stay away. This is one of the most important Sundays we have. So I know we're asking a lot for you to come at 9.15, especially all you 11 o'clock people. And uh, we're going to be staying all the way through a food truck festival and a band and all sorts of stuff. It's going to be a little bit of a longer day, but it's a really important day for us to bless the community and reach the community. So I hope all of you will set aside a time, set aside the time to be with us that day. God bless. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.